Hello everybody and welcome back to the Traction Podcast. On today's show we're going to be discussing something that isn't exactly glamorous on the face of it, but it is a hugely important aspect of the racing game community and that is pricing strategies. Joining me today we have a man who once spent $300 so that him and his girlfriend could touch a penguin. It's Justin Sutton. How are you doing Justin? Yep, that's me. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's not quite as good as the day I touched that penguin, but it's still a pretty good day. And also joining us is a man who didn't spend $300 on touching a penguin, but did spill chocolate on his shirt before recording and break his microphone and is now using a backup one. It's Tom Harrison Lord. How are you doing, Tom? Yes, um, the day is not going so well, but it can only get better from now on for the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. The I was rather hoping oh, people wouldn't know that. But yes, I've been in a bit of an idiot today. <laughs> oh, don't worry. If there's any delays, I will make sure we uh, get it shared on the podcast. That's yeah, the important yeah. stuff. Okay. All right. But no, <laughs> the, the real important stuff is, of course, uh, the topic of discussion. And there is a reason why I find this topic to be an important one, um, because I believe that, you know, a, a person's experience of a racing game can be hugely influenced by their own financial situation, like it is with any kind of hobby or anything you do. You know, if we all had unlimited money, we could do whatever we wanted and things wouldn't be such an issue. But when people have limited money, uh, the, the pricing of, of a certain product or, or thing that they're doing can hugely impact their, their experience of it and how much they enjoy it. Is that something you'd agree with, Justin? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the value proposition of, you know, any any activity, as you said, any hobby whatsoever, it, it, it all comes into, for me personally, I always have this thought of like, you know, how much would you pay to go see a movie and then equate that into dollars per hour? And then, you know, was that was that game worth $50 if I only got five hours of, of gameplay in it? And, you know, it, it also comes down to the quality of the experience that you have for those five hours as well. If it's a lot better than going to a movie, then that explains it and stuff. So as you said, you know, Certainly, I would imagine none of our listeners have unlimited money. Not yet, anyway. Maybe someday. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, so they have to think about that sort of thing. So it, it becomes important, the, the value of it, because, you know, a $20 racing game, you're going to have one expectation and something that you spend $100 a year on, you're going to have a whole other expectation. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think we're in a little bubble of sorts because... We pretty much buy every racing game there is. Sometimes we're lucky enough to get review codes and that's sort of our livelihood to play racing games and talk about them and write about them. And most consumers and people who are listening to this podcast or reading the Traction website aren't in the same position. They've got, um, they might play all sorts of different video games. So their budget has to be split across those. They've got rent to pay, mortgages to pay, all sorts of other expenses in life. So the pricing of a video game, and if it's good value for, for the money, is is crucial. Absolutely agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, and I think in, in this podcast, what I'd quite like to do is just talk about some of the different pricing strategies that, that various games and, mm. and developers actually go for, and what we believe works well, what we believe doesn't work well, and whether we can even come up with our own, you know, what, what pricing strategy would be perfect from us. Obviously, you know, we're coming at this from, we're not, we, all three of us are not game developers, right? So we don't know uh, all the details of all the costs and stuff, and we don't know how, they, how it all works. But, um, you know, from a consumer's point of view anyway, I think there are certain things that we can recognize work well and certain things that don't uh, and speaking of don't i'm going to start with uh, talking about a game or a service i should say not a game a service uh, that has probably spawned this debate in my head i see a lot of disagreement about it online and it's kind of the thing that inspired this podcast and that is iRacing and i'm sure many of you knew this was coming now iRacing works on a subscription basis you don't just buy iRacing and then play it you've got to subscribe to it and then if you want to play certain things within that you've then got to buy the content separately but even then 
do you ever really fully own it? Not exactly. Um, it's a bit of a complicated one. Uh, I don't know what you think about it, Justin. Um, so I have some R Factor friends that refer to I. And when I say R Factor friends, I mean friends who play R Factor because you know people find a, a sim and they just latch onto it. So I call mm. them the R Factor friends. They're the ones that play a lot of R Factor. Um, and they always refer to, and I've always thought this is so funny, they refer to iRacing as iRental. Um, because as you said, you don't technically own anything and it could be stripped away from you at any time. And, you know, all that money that you put into it just goes bye-bye, um, which is really scary. I mean, honestly, especially with the cost of it as well, too. Um, you mentioned it's a service. There's a subscription. That's part of it for sure. Um, but you also have to pay for tracks for cars and stuff like that and right. yeah as you said you know we don't want to we're not just going to bash iRacing there are positives to it you know you do get those dedicated servers you do get stewards that will look into if somebody you know just plows into you at turn one or whatever they Your can Scott speed insurance uh, exactly, exactly um so you, you know there are benefits with that but you know people's expectations are a lot higher too when you're putting that kind of money into it yeah i think I'm not fully into the iRacing scene. And um, when you first start looking into it, you think, oh, it's a subscription. So my brain naturally goes to your like Spotify, Netflix kind of model where I pay the subscription that gets me access to X amount of content. And maybe because it's a script subscription, I don't necessarily feel like I have to own it. You know, I'm just gaining access. And that's okay with me. But then it's the extra element of iRacing that if you need the latest cars or a certain car pack to compete in a certain class and type of competition, that's actually additional funds like DLC for a game that isn't on subscription. So that's quite unique, but slightly strange in my, in my view. <laughs> yeah, like I, th I think the cost of iRacing is quite high and I can, uh, you know, as I've told you guys before, I understand the reasoning for that because, you know, we don't know the exact expenses that go on here and you have to say yeah, that iRacing quality of content in terms of their tracks and being laser scanned, their cars, um, immaculate detail mm. has gone into them. So that's going to be very expensive in the first place. So I'm not going to be the one to judge the exact amounts. But what I would say, yeah. you know, you look at the price of an iRacing subscription, which you pay, you know, every year or maybe every two years, maybe just for three months. And the price is already above what you'd normally pay for a kind of uh, a regular sim that you might expect. Then you look at how much DLC packs cost normally, and you can you could probably all agree that DLC, depending on the size of it, can sometimes be between something like five and fifteen pounds, or maybe mm -hmm. you know seven and twenty dollars, or probably five and fifteen now because of everything that's going on. But anyway, the like I think that the issue with that is when you look at iRacing, they release one track and you need that track then to be able to complete a full season of some certain series. Mm. So you need to buy the track to be able to compete and the track's going to cost you like 14, 15 pounds. Um, and then the cars are expensive as well. And I just think that, you know, when the stuff becomes out of date, so you own, you buy all this stuff, you spend hundreds and hundreds on cars and tracks over the years. And then within two years, almost 60% of those, 70% of those aren't even being used in online racing anymore. And it basically becomes redundant. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like chucking it in the back of a shed and leaving it to rot. I'm just not super. I'm not super enthused yeah. by by how quickly this stuff is dismissed, and mm. just and because of that, therefore, the pricing for me is just a little bit too high. That seems a little crazy when you put it that way. Just to play devil's advocate, does the high barrier to entry through the subscription, but probably you need some decent equipment to be competitive. Oh, that's another debate for another time. And <laughs> the paid track for this particular uh, competition or this car that you need. Uh, does that mean that 
if you're wanted to do iRacing, you're fully committed to it, and therefore, does that make it like an elitist esports? And does that mean that only those who are super into it take part? And does that improve the quality of competition? Oh, I <laughs> well, I, I definitely have thoughts on that. Uh, I I see what you I see where you're coming from as a devil's advocate. Um, I was trying. I, I, yeah, I think that the the thing about needing good equipment and stuff is relevant for iRacing because you it's one of the few sims where you can really benefit with good equipment. You know, I mm. stopped using yeah, iRacing yeah. because I didn't have good enough brake pedals to be able to do it properly. Um, but as you say, it is a, you know it's an, another discussion in detail. But I when I got iRacing, I was only able to do it when I was younger because it was a birthday and Christmas present from my parents. So. That was it. Like my thing as a kid was mm. I was able to play iRacing because they could afford to get some of the stuff. You know, the subscription was already a full, uh, you know, massive birthday present. And then any content, you know, half of the content was still going to cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds. So uh, once you did that, and then I can't then afford to keep on top of that. So as a young person playing it without much money, I could never afford to play iRacing on a consistent basis. But what I would say as well about what you, what you said, you know, in terms of the elitism, does having more money and being less successful make the driving any better? Definitely not. No, when you put it that way. <laughs> also, I would say I would say it is it does kind of lock people in, as you kind of alluded to, right. there, Tom. You spend so much on iRacing that you feel compelled to continue with mm. iRacing because of the massive investment that you put into it. You know, you can spend sixty dollars and and pick up the latest Project Cars title. Um, and you feel, you know, no problem at all just switching to another game because you've only paid right. 60 bucks. It's no big mm -hmm. deal. But when yeah. you've invested $600 into a game, then, I mean, you're going to feel compelled to get your money's worth and you're going to only want to race in iRacing, which is really right. unfortunate. I mean, there's already this yeah. issue in the sim racing community where people get focused on one thing because it becomes difficult to be good at multiple sims like james baldwin's one of the few uh sim racers that i've seen that can really go from sim to sim uh bono house is another one i've seen that can go from sim to sim they, they have that kind of ability to to transfer from one to the other but the vast number of pro sim racers pick a platform and they just stick with it and unfortunately i do think iRacing kind of encourages that sort of behavior which is i, I think unfortunate right so it creates a certain amount of hubris where you spent so much and you have to dedicate so much time to it to justify the investment that then maybe you go on the internet and defend that game no matter what. I don't, I'm not suggesting Absolutely. that that might happen, but... The investment can okay, never slow down either. The, the investment can never slow down because as soon as you miss it for a year or a few months, you're going to be behind. And, and with, you know, with cars, mm. it's slightly more forgivable because if you don't buy a certain car, you just don't race in that series. But with tracks, right. it's a nightmare because you, know, you can guarantee that if they've released a new track, every series for the next three years or most of the series are going to try and sneak in that track somewhere in the calendar to force you to buy it. Like, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move it on from iRacing because we could talk about that all day. But what I would say <laughs> is to credit to iRacing, the quality, you know, from my perspective, yeah when I've played iRacing, incredible quality. And I think the racing can be amazing. There's a huge user base as well. So obviously people feel like it's worth the money. I, I think it's it's entirely subjective. Um, it depends on what you believe the value to be of that service. Mm. And to lots of people, it's the best out there. So therefore it's worth the money. And what I want to talk about is something that 
is in a way when you think about it similar to, to iRacing in terms of almost like a yearly subscription but it's it's hidden uh, it's masked by the fact that these games are released a new game every single year so we have games such as the F1 series where you you get a title that's released you know F1 2017 and then of course next year you get F1 2018 now when you think about it what we're really doing is paying a subscription to Codemasters to give us an F1 game every year the difference being that instead of getting a paying for DLC and content you're paying for a slightly different user interface a few extra features and some new liveries um, and cars am I am I basically right in saying that Tom yeah oh where to begin on this do I mind yearly releases well let's think of it this way I would love for someone who's doing a yearly motorsport game such as Formula One or WRC or MotoGP to try it one year where they go okay instead of the full 60 70 dollars let's say we charge you 20 or 30 and here's your roster update and a few tweaks uh but i think the problem with that that's sort of the the dream environment i think i mean would that be a fair thing john or justin is that something you would like to try i personally like no. the uh, <laughs> when it cut when it comes to yearly releases i actually like what forza does where they alternate what I would call a TikTok schedule, which is what Intel does with like their processors, where you have one and then the other, one and then the other. Uh, it's you have Horizon one year, you have Motorsport the other. You know, this has kind of gotten broken up in recent years. Uh, or yeah, recent it's over years. now. This has changed. Yeah, but I like the the theory of that a lot better because you get a, a lot longer to work on each game. Companies like Codemasters that are making these yearly releases, I have mm. to assume, are splitting their teams up. And you have somebody work on one one on like 2020 and then another team that's working on 2021. Mm. And when 2020 launches, they start on 2022. So you're already kind of alternating teams and, you, you know, you're on like a two-year schedule, that kind of thing. I, personally, I think that, you know, puts less strain on the developers. You end up with a higher quality product. But certainly... Either way, I like it better than the iRacing model because you don't oh, feel enough. compelled. You know, you don't feel compelled to continue with the series. You know, if mm. uh, if the if F one releases a bad game one year, I just won't get it. I never got F one twenty fourteen. I was a massive F one fan in twenty fourteen, but I just skipped that game because I heard from a bunch of people it wasn't really worth picking up. You know, it's the last of that console generation, that kind of stuff. And you have that yeah. freedom to just skip a year and take it off, and it, you know it's all it's mm. all fine. <laughs> yeah, what I, what I was going to say is, sorry, on you go, Tom. No, no, after you, John. It's all good. The, I was going to so much to talk about on this idea. That you we, guys are too uh, polite. Uh, Traction <laughs> podcast. Get, it really gets the blood flowing. Um, what I was going to say, it was quite similar to Justin. Um, I I wonder if there's scope for you know, and I think I I agree that I think that developers maybe need double you know double the amount of time from one year to two is going to make a huge difference because how can you ever make progress if you're constantly up against getting it out rather mm -hmm. than moving it on and i think that two exactly. years makes a big difference obviously forza have done it smartly because they have two different game de they have two developers right so yeah, it's yeah, like it's here's you know different. a and b and it's two years per game but because we've got two of them we just double up on our resources and then we can have a full two-year developed game each time which makes a bit more of a difference and i think you'd agree the forza games don't feel like every year it doesn't feel like a tiny little change each time it feels like a new game right so i yes. think that there's definitely scope for that and maybe if you don't have the resources to have two developing companies doing slightly different games maybe your formula one and it's just going to be the same type of game each year i wonder if there's maybe scope for 
just basically doing bi-yearly releases and then for for the second year that's missed out doing that as like a, a bonus mode that comes out for the previous game now obviously this is me right. kind of just throwing something up in the air here but say at the end like of 2020 that. here comes the f1 2021 pack is released on f1 2020 and it's integrated into the career mode so you can flick between the two or you can do championships on it and it's the new cars new speeds new drivers and stuff like that fairly straightforward things to do i would think relative to a lot of other things and it mm. just gives them the time to really focus on the new features for the f1 2022 game yeah i think that's You've put it much better than I did. That's what I was trying to get at in some respects where if it's a sports game, there has to be something every year because there has to be something for the new roster of driver and teams, which is different to the Forza model. Uh, right. And also because it's yearly, it will always be an iterative, iterative, iterative oh my word, let's put my teeth in, thing. Um, and so what you said there where it's like one year, it's like a full release, then it's like a DLC with the new update then it's another full release. Seems to be really good. What I would say to that is, in theory, that's great. But uh, outside of racing, in the world of football, sorry, Justin, I'll translate, soccer, um, there's there's two main titles. There's FIFA by EA and there's Pro Evolution Soccer or PES by Konami, right? And the PES franchise has been sort of dwindling in sales uh, for quite a while. And so what they've done for this year is Okay, instead of doing a full game, it's £15 or about $20. Here's this season's uh, player updates and squad updates that plays into last year's one, and then next year we'll do another one. So actually, that's actually what you've suggested, John, is happening in the world of soccer or football. But what's happened is because they've not done a yearly release, there's no PR buzz, there's um, Mm. less people talking about it, and I think it's died a death, unfortunately. I think it's a, a noble experiment. But because each year there's a, there's more buzz because it's a new thing, there's some new features that they can bullet point out on a marketing uh, PowerPoint somewhere. It it gets more hype. It, yeah, to to me, like I, I th- what I was suggesting sounds good on paper. I think the issue mm. with it is that a you need the I companies agree. not to get lazy and just you know make the same they would have made that they could have done in a year and just spread it out over two. Uh, obviously, if they're mm. being overworked, then you don't want then that's maybe okay. But <laughs> if they're not being overworked, you'd like to think that they could do more with it in two years. And um, but also, as you say, that the buzz about it is such a big thing, and um, that it's kind of you know people when when you buy a new game, even if the physics and the the way the game plays is totally different, you don't necessarily like it because it's better. You like it because it's different. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah. what I would say is that you can have the same, into, yeah. So you have the same game twice in a row, uh, and that feels like, oh, there's okay, there's nothing there. But if you have a new game that comes out where the, say, it's FIFA and the the way the players feel are different, and the the headers are overpowered rather than the the running, you know, when that happens, it feels like a new game. It feels different, and that makes people want to play it, right? Not just because it's necessarily got more of everything or better features and stuff. I mean, this is mm-hmm. you know something we we I will talk about some of those stuff uh, a wee bit later on as well. And um, I also just want to move it on a little bit. Because another big thing that we've mentioned a few times is that kind of DLC, you know, and we should explain to anyone who's maybe not familiar with the, with that term is just getting into the gaming. Good point. D- yeah. DLC is basically additional content that you can purchase for a game that's already out there. So, for example, you know, maybe a game comes with 10 different cars and 10 different tracks, and then the developers release a new pack, which is DLC, and it'll be five new tracks and five new cars, which you pay money for, and it adds to the initial game. Now, there are, there are lots of different ways that DLC works. Sometimes DLC can work where it just makes a difference to the visuals of the game, maybe adds mm-hmm. in a few extra liveries or skins, or makes makes the player experience look better, but doesn't actually improve your performance. Whereas you also get situations where DLC can completely transform the game, aka 
you know, we've released this new car, but it's actually quicker than the other cars in its class. And if you want to race online against these cars now, because it's in the same class, you have to buy the DLC. You know, there's different, there, there's good ways of doing DLC and there's bad ways. Definitely. I would say the right way to do it, and th- I t- kind of take this from the world of first person shooters. Um, the right way to do it is to have paid DLC be cars, paints, horns, customizations, stuff like that. Not tracks. Don't do not. How much would you pay for a horn, Justin? A dollar, probably. (laughs) A dollar, one (laughs) dollar, and it better be a good horn if I'm going to pay a dollar for it. Um, That sort of stuff I think is good for paid stuff. But yeah, you don't want to split up your community. Um, It's the same thing with like Call of Duty and, and all those other games. When they release a new map, it should be free to everybody. That way you're not separating your out your community into people that have paid for the new content and people that haven't paid for the new content. Because inevitably, not everybody is going to get the DLC unless you're iRacing, obviously, is the one exception to that. And, and you mm. release a new track, then everyone will get it. Um, but yeah, so same thing with the racing games. I would say... You know, if you're going to release DLC, and I think um, Assetto Corsa did this. I, I was just trying to think of companies that have done this model. Um, Assetto Corsa is over with. They're not. They're not updating it anymore. They're focused on Competizione and all that kind of stuff. But uh, when they were releasing content, um, it was car packs, just car packs, just cars. You didn't have to buy it. Really made no difference. And I think you could still race against people that were in those cars. Just you yourself could not select that car. Um, but again. Uh, the tracks and stuff were all free. Like when they did the Nordschleife, I believe that was free content to absolutely everybody. Um, that's the kind of generous and, and conscientious way to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Tracks should be, in my opinion, a free thing, even though it takes the developer time, effort, and money to put that into the game. So then you think, well, how are they going to get anything back? But if you've got a scheduled release of different tracks... And then along that, there's like cosmetic items that are paid for that helps fund the tracks. And that's that's a model that, that works for me. So, sorry to be really boring here, but I'm going to have to agree with with both of you. I think that, you know, that's that's got to oh, be the best. Shucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's true. Like tracks make a difference. You you can't join in everyone if there's a new yeah. track released and you're not doing it. Um, whereas with mm. a car, you know, you can contribute and it can, it can still work for you. So So that's all okay. So for those of you listening on a podcast service, you wouldn't have noticed anything just then. But for those of you watching on YouTube, you probably noticed that I turned into a statue. But I'm back now. I can move my hands and everything. <laughs> Everything's good. So, uh, but yeah, uh, we, we just finished talking about DLC stuff. There wasn't really too much I wanted to add on that anyway, um, because we do need to we all agreed. Long. Well, yeah, exactly. That was that was probably what turned me into a statue. Just the shock, of, <laughs> just, the yeah. shock of lack of debate in the subject because um, because it makes sense. It actually makes sense. Yeah, Who would have thought people could make sense? Uh, I want to talk about uh, some some other different ways that the games tend to go about things, uh, and we do see quite a lot of free to play games. Um, you know, whether mm. whether that's free to play in a kind of demo version where you get a few features and then you can pay a subscription to unlock the full one, or just pay a set price to unlock the full version, or whether it's a free to play game where you get all the features but you have to buy the content now that's obviously a combination of different things that we've talked about already but um i don't know justin do you have any opinions on free to play stuff um i i think it can be done very very well absolutely very well um and funny enough i I, i'm gonna come full circle for a second here 
Uh, I think iRacing actually often does uh, free demos. You could do like three months of iRacing completely for free. And you do get free content with iRacing. You know, the I think the one everyone knows is the MX-5. Everybody loves the MX-5 Lame uh, rookie series. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is classic stuff. Anybody who's gotten into sim racing. And I will always tell people, you know, if, if someone's like, hey, I'm a PC gamer, I just picked up a racing wheel, I tell them, go check to see if iRacing's got, you know, some sort of free promotion going on where you can race for a month for free or three months for free or something like that. Um, because why not? You know what I mean? It, there's no reason not to take advantage of something like that. Um, that sort of thing is never available to those of us that have already purchased content. So, you know, if there is a time to try iRacing, that is the time, you know, because it's completely free no charge at all. Again, you are going to be very restricted to the cars and tracks that you can run and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but again, you can kind of dip your toes in it completely for free and try it out. But historically, uh, free-to-play is not really something we see with racing games so much as we see from other from other you know genres of games and stuff like that. Um, one that I have played a lot of is the Blizzard MOBA Heroes of the Storm. Um, I have way too many hours in that game over many many years and i have spent some money on it buying cosmetics you know there's one particular character that i loved so much that when a special edition skin came out i just you know dropped the ten dollars or whatever it was to buy it um because i i felt you know i've been playing this for so many hours and have given them zero money so i almost felt obligated <laughs> at that point to spend some money um and you know i do wish there were more racing games like that but at the same time i can kind of understand how that would be difficult yeah there's no one really taking up the mantle well there's one example i can think of but there's a the the gaming environment <laughs> is screaming out for like a arcade or a sim game that's like free to play that has like the fortnite model where like skins and customizability are where you're paying the money for but the cars and the tracks are all sort of free i suppose destruction all-stars kind of is if you're going to count that as a racing game, it's not really racing, is it? But the one that springs to mind when you say free to play is race room, race room, yes, race room. And race, <laughs> I, was, room I was waiting there is... to say it for minutes. <laughs> you were, you were prime, race room. What about race room? What about race room? Yeah, I've, so I've been getting back into race room a bit actually because I, I played it quite a few years ago, and oh, that's frustrating. I really like the game. I really like touring cars, and there's a load of touring cars in there. There's the official DTM packs, official word touring cars are in there. Uh, but the pricing model sucks. Sorry, really sorry. I like the game, don't like the pricing model. I've heard because that. Because the free stuff is minimal. It's unlicensed stuff is what you get for free. Like a few like made-up cars and stuff, and you might get one or two tracks. can't remember. That was so many years ago when I initially signed up. So on... Uh, the Traction website, you'll see there's uh, the 2020 WTCR is going to be added to the game, the official license of the World Touring Cars. Brilliant. That's going to be a car and livery pack for an amount. doesn't include any tracks. All tracks are paid for. So what happens is if you're going online, it's quite kind of hard to find a game that, uh, okay, well, I've got this classic race car DLC with these three tracks. Can I find a race for that? No. No, I can't. So... Also, you have to end up buying these big packs, but not everything is in the big packs. And if you do that, it's it's hundreds of pounds. And I don't know. I don't know. I have, I have a weird a insight. 
I have a weird insight on this very quickly. Um, I've, I, I worked with the league. Um, I, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but they were looking into switching to another sim from, from one sim. Um, and they looked at race room and they looked at iRacing and iRacing was cheaper. Let that settle in. iRacing <laughs> was cheaper. Then for this yeah. league, to, so this was like a professional league. They had sponsors, you know, bills to pay, editor, you know, editors to pay. You know, this was like a business, not just like some rinky dinky league. And they they went around to all the and they you know they were pricing out the different options that they had. And they went to race room and they said, all right, we have this many drivers, we need this much content, and you know they got they got an estimate. They did the same thing at iRacing, and iRacing was the cheaper option, which yeah. just blew me away. I guess. With iRacing, though, it depends how long they're doing it. The, the longer they're using iRacing, the more they're spending, right? Because it's a subscription. I suppose with Race Room, you get that you can have that one big hit early on to get all the content, but it's mm. it's not cheap. Now they do do regular I, sales, but it's. Not I cheap. don't know. I don't know because the thing with me for Race Room is, I, and I used to sim race on Race Room for a couple of years, and it's actually it's really good. You. It's a really good sim. It's it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. it really feels good. like the natural predecessor of Race 07. It has that kind of slightly mm. numb mm. feeling that's heavy enough with force feedback that can be really satisfying to drive, and it's it's actually quite a nice compromise between like really difficult sim and something that's manageable for people. But anyway, that's another discussion altogether. Um, <laughs> I remember getting a pack that was like I think it was everything in the game. They came up on a big sale, and it was like buy all of the content for four or 50 pounds and at the time i was like okay i'm doing my leagues on this it's good let's just get that uh, and and that was all fine and i got a lot of stuff way more than you would spend on the individual packs but the problem is within a year or two it's again it they don't it, that doesn't get topped up you know it's once it's done that's it and then whenever the next season comes out you need to be then buying that again and the tracks come mm. out and okay i don't think it's that bad if you own the tracks you know if you get if you get tracks in a good deal and it, but in its case of then buying individual series when you really want to do them or tracks, then it's not the end of the world. But it's, yeah, as you say, it's flawed. It's definitely flawed. Um, another thing I want to talk about uh, is something that is becoming more popular in games recently, which is where games are being released before they're fully completed and sold to you at a full game price, but as an open beta. Now, I know this isn't technically, like, this, this is a bit of a weird one because it's not fully about pricing, right? Because it's about the style of game that's released. But the reason it's relevant is because what happens when you release a beta at full price, people people complain because they're paying for a game that's no longer finished. Now, I do have some opinions on this, but I'll, I'll let you guys start. So, Justin, uh, do you have any experience with open betas? Or Tom, Tom's jumping in there at the bit. Go for it. Well, Go for it, Tom. I just can't think of an example. So could you give me an example of a game that's charged for a beta or something that's not finished? Well, well for me, it would be early access. Yeah, yeah, early access. Is, oh, is the early access. I would access. refer to it. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course, of course. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I can I, I I have more experience with early access games that aren't racing games than are racing games, but BMNG is a perfect example of that. Um, I'm happy to do it as long as there is progress being made, and uh, you know it, it's going to hit version 1.0 eventually. You know I don't mind, I like getting in on the ground level. You know if they say yeah this game is going to come out in two years at sixty dollars, but you can get it today for twenty and play it now, but it's not going to have very much content until two years from now. Um, that's fine. I'm happy to do that 100%. But if if it's just going to keep being in early access forever <laughs> and staying at the same price forever, that kind of ruins some of the incentive. Yeah, I'm not one for doing it because I'd like to see the finished product because I guess when you're in, if you're really doing it early doors, uh, there's no guarantee it's going to be good in the long run. You know, you you're spending money on it's the dream. 
and the, yeah. and the sales pitch. Yeah, it's a complete gamble. Now, there have been many games that actually have come through it and have been great in the end. Uh, BMNG, you've mentioned there, John, is interesting because I wouldn't have done it early on, but if you get it now at this point, there's enough in there for it probably to be yes. worth just that price anyway, right? So there's oh, a balance 100%. in the timing. Yeah, so it's all about the timing for me. Yeah, I mean, my, my thoughts on this are, I, and I I think I disagree with a lot of the people that complain about a game being sold to them that's not fully complete and we're doing, you know, the, they say the users are they doing the work though, for right? them. And well, exactly. It's a choice. You know, I, I, I can choose to have access to a game that's not complete two years early. And yes, I might be contributing to the development of the game. So what? That's helpful. If there's more people playing the game and as long as I'm enjoying it and getting my mm. money's worth out of it. And a lot of the time, these games in early access mode are sold cheaper prices than full price, as Justin mentioned. I have no problem with that because at the end of the day, if I'm having fun with it, even if the game never really becomes full, as long as, you know, with, with that, it's tricky because then it depends on what you're promised and what the game developers have said will mm-hmm. be the case with the game. And when it's a small indie game, you're taking a risk, you know, that this, you know, you're paying for, for the beta because they, they can't afford to finish the game and then they still can't afford to finish it, so it disappears. But it's a choice you make. And as long as you know you're not buying a full game, uh, and you make that you take that into account when you make the decision. I don't think you can really be too upset at it unless they really do, you know, lie in the way they promise. But for me, there's no problem with an open beta game as long as it's at a point that it's still enjoyable and there's stuff to do in it. Um, yeah, that's fair so, enough. Yeah, that's my think, thoughts. Yeah, the only sticky thing would be that you know it's five years later and the game's still ropey at best. Then I don't know where people stand legally. I suppose they just they've lost the money, I guess. But I, I have no problem with it promised. at all. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because the developers, so, at the end of the day, could stick on, could could take the the broken rubbish game and just stick version one point zero <laughs> and tell people it's complete. Yeah, and then of course technically they could. They've, technically, yeah. they're releasing, an, you know. So either way, it's it, yeah. I I don't think it's as bad as people make out. Uh, but maybe I'm maybe I've only seen a set few, and maybe most people are in agreement with me. I'm not sure. Make sure you leave us down a comment to let us know what you think about that. Uh, I do want to discuss some non-racing models as well because I feel like there are other ways of doing it that some games have done, and it is relevant to racing because some of these ideas can be applied or might be applied to our dismay in the future and um, maybe i know justin you want to talk a little bit about fortnite i know you've talked about it already in this in this show heroes of the storm yeah 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 100 that's that's my jam uh i really like the way they do it they used to do loot boxes but then they switched away from it um and i really appreciate that they did that this uh that was a few years ago um because yeah i don't like the gambling of loot boxes you know i'd much rather earn currency or spend real life money on paid currency of some kind and then choose the content that that I want which is how how it works now so um in a racing game you know that would work by um like oh I already own you know I already own all this base content and there's a um you can get like an underglow package for your car or something and it costs like a dollar or something like that um, and you have to pay for it per car or something. That I wouldn't be too upset about spending a little bit of money on. You know, it's just a cosmetic difference. But that's that's the key thing, is that it's not a performance thing. You shouldn't have it where the people that have paid money are able to turn faster lap times. You know, that is the number <laughs> one number one concern uh, uh, when you bring in those kinds of like paid microtransactions and stuff is people are worried that it's gonna ruin the the competitiveness. So I, I want to talk about that as well, because, I mean, I, I did want to mention a game called FIFA, <laughs> which is, it's been thrown around a lot in the racing game community specifically because of the recent uh, acquisition of uh, Codemasters by EA. Now, what FIFA do 
is you pay a certain amount for the game every year uh, and the game is very similar to the year before with some select updates i think it's a great game personally i love fifa uh, no problem with that at all uh, but then what where they make their money is not in the game you know they get thousands and thousands of pounds from certain individuals for what is effectively loot boxes on ultimate team so you pay you know you pay 40 pounds for a certain amount of points on fifa and then you can buy you know 50 gold packs and in these packs you get players that will improve your team now i think this in essence is everything that's wrong with loot boxes and gambling in game because not only is it performance enhancing uh, the chances are really are quite slim and what happens is you get content creators that can spend you know or get given uh, hundreds of pounds worth of packs and then they get the best players in the world and and kids watch that and think wow my favorite youtuber just got messi and ronaldo i'm gonna go and try and get messi and ronaldo oh i've got my mom and dad's credit card details in my playstation perfect you know or it, 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 i think it's just dodgy and the fact that the fact that they probably make so much more money from loot boxes and ultimate team than they do from the actual game i think speaks volumes and it works for them in terms of financially but i think there's so many uh, great areas i guess morally and, and that's something that some people might totally disagree with what i think would be better is if you can pay for loot boxes but you can pay for them with in-game currency that you can earn by yes. doing well in the game right so i don't mind paid loot boxes as you said justin that are skins and that are not performance enhancing so if you know i paid real money a thousand pounds and i had amazing loot boxes to get gold skins that's fine because that's a choice i'm not being better on the game because of that but if if it comes to stuff that's actually going to make a difference to the mechanics of the game at that point it's like okay take away the real money aspect and make it i can earn real real game currency you know in-game currency to get these loot boxes because i think that takes away a lot of the problem mm. i think the circle is closing in on ultimate team specifically though which is also in uh, madden right um because there's been somewhere in europe a uh, court has decided that it's encouraging yes. children to gamble uh, yes. I know it's only one country for now, but it could it could seep out there, and so yeah, I know they're I the looking into that scenario. sort of thing in the U.S. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So the points element that you mentioned, John, in combining with what Justin said about um, items that are cosmetic, is combined in Formula One 2020, and also the Crew Two and Rocket League, and this is both good and bad because I don't mind the fact that it's cosmetic, so. F1 is a yearly release at the full price. And then there's cosmetic stuff that you can earn points for in the game. Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And also, um, if you want, though, you can buy Bitcoin with real money, right? And it's gloves and liveries and stuff like this. Okay, fine. My main beef at the minute with these systems is the pricing of the packs. So now I'm forgetting the numbers, but the, I've seen the Crew 2 and Rocket League both do this. There's a new car coming out and you can earn your in-game currency and you can buy it in the career no problem or you can buy the crew points with real money and if you want that car instant okay fine no problem the crew let's say for example the, the packs of the points are like 1000 2000 and 3000 and it's like i don't know 10 pounds 20 pounds 30 pounds let's say for example right the new car comes at 2500 points so therefore you have to buy the 3000 point pack and this is happening in formula one games in rocket league and Fortnite and stuff. The the Sneaky. packs of the points uh, and the new content's priced deliberately, so it's just above or just below the the real money amount that you need. So one thing to watch out for, and it's it's a little disingenuous to say that this vehicle's two thousand five hundred points. Really, it's three thousand. 
for example. Yeah, but mm-hmm. do, do you know it's not even it's not even just as simple as that in terms of how cheeky it is because not only does then the player force to buy the three thousand points, what then happens mm. is of course you're left with five hundred sitting in your account. So you look at that yep. and think, well, I've now got money on my account. Uh, I might exactly. as well spend it. And oh, I could buy one that's a thousand, but there's nothing for five hundred. So I'm going to have to buy more. And there's always going to be change left over. And as long as there's change, you want to spend it. And as long as you want to spend it, you're going to need to buy more to be able to spend it. It's it's like a yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that personally. I think it's unnecessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I yeah. just have it in there without the point system, basically, so that yeah. if you want to buy that glove, it's it's dollars or pounds or yen. Easy. Yeah, I think for for me, pricing strategies, what it really comes down to, and there's so many different ways of doing it. There's the subscriptions, there's the DLC, there's so many different things. At the end of the day, it comes down to value and expectation. You know, how mm. much does this game cost? How much is it worth to me? Am I being Am I being screwed out of money? Am I being scammed in a way where I'm losing money through they're, they're using techniques to try and get that money from me in an, in an unethical way? Uh, or is it, you know, it's all those kind of things are really what it boils down to. Because at the end of the day, if you, if you um, buy a game, you know, that's free to play, uh, so you get it for free and then you spend £60 and you have all of the content versus a game that costs £60 to buy at the start and you have everything, they're the same price, right? It's just different ways of getting to the same thing, which is the developers of the game making money and making the right amount of money. And at the end of the day, for me, as long as you can keep track of your spending, it's a case of working out how much each game is worth, what the value of it is, and also then what you're promised on that. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short because it's so Mm. important about what you can actually expect to get uh, and what the value of something is. It's not as simple as, oh, well, this thing's only £10 and you get everything versus this where I'm having to spend hundreds because maybe it's cost them hundreds and hundreds more to develop. Uh, or, well, in, I'm sure in, in reality it's millions, you know, uh, and that can really then make a difference. So it's not it's not a simple argument. Yeah, there's all sorts, all sorts there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel like we've upset every publisher in the land. Ultimately, these games are very <laughs> expensive <laughs> to make. And exactly. It's just, it's just how you communicate it and how you price things. And ultimately, consumers will vote with their wallets, um, and unless the courts say otherwise as well, right? So <laughs> things will change and improve. And when people come up with these newer systems like points or DLC pricing structures, they, they will evolve over time, and it's become much better now than it was when uh, additional content was first around in some respects. And uh, to play devil's advocate, in a perfect world, microtransactions allow whales to come in that's a gaming term people that spend like oh, a ton yeah. of money for, for those yeah. for those of you that aren't aware like um I don't, I don't know if either of you are familiar with star citizen there are people that play that game that have spent like millions of dollars on the game that's a wow. whale um and in theory in a perfect world a whale drives down the cost of buying the base game which makes the game more accessible, gets it in the hands mm. of more people to have fun with that base experience, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. But oftentimes I feel like they're just pocketing the extra money from the whale and keeping and keeping the base game at the exact same price for a lot of companies. So it's, yeah. ideally what I would like to see is, I understand the need for microtransactions. It's 2021 now, you know, that's just how you make money in the video game world in a lot of ways. I understand wanting to have microtransactions, but it's about doing it in an ethical way and doing it in a way that benefits other people in the community and not just your shareholders. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. a really good point. And I think I think it's similar to what I was talking about with FIFA and an ultimate team where, you know, 
it doesn't matter if someone spends a million pounds on it and the company make money from that that's fine if that person's not being a exploited b they're not getting yep. performance enhancing things that that makes them stronger than everyone else online uh, and c obviously this person needs to be you know if you want to spend a million on a game i hope you're a multi-billionaire you know kind of thing but that's right. your choice and that's absolutely fine you know i don't mind that if someone thinks if that's worth it to them you know if a million if they have a million pounds sitting there doing nothing because they have so much money and this game is worth a million pounds to them then that's their decision and who am i to judge that Power uh, it's to about you. yeah it's yeah. it's about you know not then making it impossible for the people at the lower end of the scale to yes. be able to take part and what i would like to end on guys i just want to and we, did, we don't need to spend much time on this because we've already talked about it but i'm just going to go through each of you and i want you to very quickly just summarize what would be your ideal racing model now i know we're consumers we're not developers so we don't we can't exactly talk from experience about why this will or won't work but what we can do is say as a consumer what we think is a fair uh, system that works for us so i'll start with you justin i'll not start with myself because it gives me more time to think um i would like a um i like kind of what i just touched on where where you have like a cheap base game in the kind of 20 to 40 range i think is is a great way of doing things and then maybe you have a a higher version where you get some extra content or something like that that's like 60 dollars uh, just pretend it's a GBP if you're if, if if you're in England or uh, or euros if you're in Europe. Um, but yeah, something that's like twenty to forty base, sixty for like a special edition has some microtransactions, but isn't actually required. Isn't yearly as well either, because um, again, I I think it's it's. Uh, kind of crazy to expect yearly releases in most circumstances, as you pointed out, John. Some of that's unavoidable. You just have to come out with a new game every year. It's understandable, um, but when it's preventable, I would say you know at least two years between games, uh, a reasonable level for people to come in entry level at like twenty to forty. Um, a higher level for people that have the money to spend and are really excited about the game or whatever. Um, and then uh, a small amount of microtransactions that aren't super expensive. Uh, you know, I don't like when you can spend a million dollars in a game. Um, again, I think people should be allowed to in those games that exist, but um, I think that's that's too much. So yeah, maybe if you spend another 40 on top of the 60, you know, let's say you're you're a super user or something, you paid 60 for the special edition and then another 40 or so will get you literally everything, you know, and you've now spent $100, which is, you know, five to three, three to five times more than the base version. Um, but you got everything and you're you're perfectly content. I think that's kind of like a perfect world situation for me. Tom, do you go? I don't mind paying full price for a game. Um, I don't. Know, I do kind of prefer that than, let's say, the race room model or something like this. <laughs> so that's pretty. I know that's old school, and that will change. Uh, but what I would say is uh, a tip for some frugal gaming is if you just have a bit of patience. Uh, often, if it's not a yearly sports release, which I understand the reasons for them being yearly, and I don't mind that provided there's progression each year. Um, you can wait for like the ultimate edition, which will have hopefully all the DLC and the main game all in one package. And if you're really, really frugal, you could wait a couple of years and buy that on a physical disc if you've got a console, uh, play that for a few months, and then sell that or trade that in. And therefore, you've probably got the game, some DLC, and it's probably cost you 20 to 30 pounds, depending on how much you know it's cost you to trade in and stuff like this. So um again i know that's very very old-fashioned and that will die soon i'm sure but uh i, I you know assetto corsa competizione is coming to ps5 and xbox series later this year 
I wouldn't bet against it coming with all the DLC on there for not full price. And that could be good value, but you've missed out three years behind the curve. So swings are roundabouts. Absolutely. Uh, I think what I would like to say on this subject as well is, and we've talked about it the same, I'm in a similar boat to Justin. You know, I feel like I feel like paying full price for a game is not a problem at all. I also don't mind paying DLC if it's if there's a limit to the numbers. So what I don't want to do is be paying DLC every month for a new car pack that comes out and a new season of something and then falling behind the curve. You know, I, what I want is if there's a DLC pack to be released, it's going to be a one or one or two a year max, uh, and it, it can't be super expensive and it needs to also not benefit the user in terms of an online setting. You know, it can benefit you in terms of your enjoyment, obviously. You know, you can, even if it's cars that other people can't access that you can race offline or whatever, but if it goes online and they're racing against other cars, it needs to be, it can't be an overpowered thing. It can't ruin the class racing or, or some stuff like that. So it needs to, it needs to be fun, but not benefit uh, it needs to, sorry, not benefit you over other users, if that makes sense, and um, just give you more options. Um, I also think that, you know, non-DLC owners should always be able to compete against DLC uh, people they just might not look as flashy so i you know if i want to race against justin justin can have his gold robes and his amazing gold plated helmet with his spikes in his car that don't actually do anything but i want to be able to beat him still you know i don't want to have to to be you know i don't want to have to buy speed performance or anything like that and i think that as i said before loot boxes need to be uh, done or needs to be at least very much limited to how many you can get and it should really be non-performance enhancing things because as soon as you get into that dangerous area where you know, you've got you've got something that's so desirable in a loot box where there's only a one in ten thousand chance of you getting it, uh, and that thing improves your your performance and it costs you know over a couple of pounds per loot box. It gets so dangerous because then you're never fully happy. You're always you know if you've got forty quid at the end of the month, I'll spend forty pounds on FIFA points or whatever it's going to be. I keep saying FIFA; it's just the example I know, but <laughs> it's you know you've got to be careful. So I think there needs to be a big limit to that. Um, but yeah, as I've said, we've covered it all already. I think I think we're all in a reasonable amount of agreement, um, to be honest, which is which is nice. And I think, you know, <laughs> when it's something like this, I think it's important because I think that when it when it comes to pricing and stuff, this is something that really does affect gamers at a base level. This is not something yeah. frivolous like mm-hmm. you know disagreeing over a car or a game physics that we like. This is something really important. So I think there needs to be transparency and agreement across the industry. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd just like to interject because I know we've covered all sorts of things, but very, very, very quickly, um, there's this thing called Game Pass on PC, on Xbox, where you pay a monthly subscription and then it gives you access to a good amount of video games. Now that's value. A lot. Now it seems to be a lot of people on the internet are loving it and thinking it's really good and really good value. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. And it's very interesting to see if that changes the industry. Uh, yes. From a racing, selfish racing game point of view, if I'm paying um, eight or pounds or ten dollars a month, there's only really the, the two more recent Forzas and the MotoGP game on there that that caught my eye. And so, if you're really into one genre, I don't think it works. That's controversial. So you can tweet me all right. you hit, and I'll, I'll explain it. <laughs> if you're into all sorts of games, it's really good value. So it'd be interesting to see if someone comes up with like themed packages racing game something. pass yeah something yeah. like this if you're into interesting if you're into american football or sports or ice hockey or whatever that could be one and then uh rpgs could be another so um i've tried it because you get it for free with any like pc for a month um it's not for me because going back to iRacing quickly as well you're paying the subscription per month but you have to then buy the dlc as well and then if mm. your subscription lapses i've put yeah but anyway, interesting. It gets weird. And I'm really sorry, John. 
I just no. came in there right at the end and ruined your flow. But it's I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you talked about that because I know you've talked to me about it before and you did want to mention it. So yeah, um, it's I'm a hot topic. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So thank you, thank you so much, uh, Penguin Man and Chocolate Boy, for joining me today. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners uh, for joining the podcast. Make sure as well you subscribe via your favorite podcast service, and of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel to see the videos and podcasts and everything when they're released. Also, check out Traction.gg to see our latest racing game updates, news, podcast, everything's on there. Um, I'm sure you know there's plenty of stuff for you to sink your teeth into on there. And also follow us on social medias, usually at Traction.gg. I don't think it's Traction.gg, is it, Justin? Nope. Just that traction GG. Just traction GG. We'll need to. I need. I need to get that into my head to get that sorted. So yeah, <laughs> traction.gg for the website. Traction GG for the socials. Thank you guys so much for listening. And in the meantime, keep it pinned and have a great day. Keep it pinned. <laughs>